morning, church. How are we doing today? Doing all right? Good morning. Welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here with you today. Uh, this morning, uh, I'm glad to be here with you as well as those joining us online. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, this morning, we're going to be jumping into Psalm 46. So if you have your Bible with you or you want to swipe to it on your Bible app on your phone, you can do that now. Uh, while that's happening, I'd like to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Ty Hall. I'm the new worship pastor here at FCC. And as you hear that, you might be wondering, uh, dude, you missed your part. <laughs> you missed your part of the service. Well, here's, it's actually a funny story. Uh, I graduated from Moody Bible Institute with a degree in biblical studies with a minor in music. And before I was here, I was a youth pastor and student, uh, kids pastor in Illinois. And so all of my preaching, I'll give you a fair warning, a lot of my sermons have included references to things like Disney, Marvel, <laughs> video games. I've talked a lot about Minecraft, Fortnite, and Iron Man from the pulpit before. <laughs> Uh, but I'm really excited to be here with you this morning. I love jumping into God's Word, digging in and hearing from the Scriptures. And that's why I'm so excited that Pastor Eric was offering to swap with me th for the morning. Um, but before we jump in, I'd love to pray one more time and ask God to teach us this morning. So would you all pray with me? God, we thank you for the opportunity and the blessing that it is to learn from your Word. God, we pray that as we jump into this psalm, God, that you would teach us, that you would speak through me, and that you would give us uh, applications that we can apply to our lives individually, and also things that we can apply as a church corporately. God, we pray that you would be with us, that you would open our ears, open our hearts. We pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, so Psalm 46, that's what we're jumping in, and you might have heard this psalm, or at least a piece of it before. Pastor Doug mentioned it, be still and know that I am God. That's a pretty popular verse. A lot of times I've heard this verse over and over and over again, and it's, it's really popular. It's so popular, in fact, I decided to do some research, see how popular it is. So I went to the source of all things. I went to Etsy. I went to Etsy. If you don't know what Etsy is, it's an online marketplace where you can uh, make handmade goods and things and sell them, and they're really unique. I do a lot of my Christmas shopping at Etsy because you can get some unique things that you can't find at Walmart or Target or other places like that. So I went to Etsy just to see how many things had the phrase, be still and know that I am God. And when two words, I typed be still, and Etsy knew exactly where I was going. <laughs> Auto-completed the rest of the phrase, and I pressed enter, and was greeted with something very interesting. Over 50 pages of results, which totals to over 3,200 mugs, shirts, bracelets, pendants, posters, and necklaces with this phrase scripted on them with various flowers, sunsets, artistry, and all the cursive writing you can imagine. <laughs> Clearly, this is something people want to be reminded of. A lot of times when I hear someone talking about this verse, it's usually in reaction to a busy or chaotic season of life. We want to trust God in the midst of that busyness, but what does it actually mean to be still? What is this psalm actually asking of us? We'll get there today, but that verse is actually at almost the very end of the psalm. So we're going to start at the beginning. In verse 1, we see that right off the bat, this is a psalm of trust. Charles Spurgeon, the famous theologian, calls this a song of holy confidence. Verse 1 starts like this. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Now pause there for a second. 
that's trust, right? We see that this is trust. The psalmist clearly trusts God, but that little comma in the middle signifies this is about to be what we shouldn't be afraid of, even though it feels like we should. In the Old Testament, a lot of times the writers would uh, put in here the earthly enemies of Israel and use them as a symbol of other things. This would be your Assyrias, your Babylons, your Egypts, those sort of people, and that's probably where we're going, right? Let's find out. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Okay, that, that seems like a lot. Let's, let's just break that down. The psalmist is basically saying, hypothetical situation. Let's imagine that the earth beneath our feet, the literal ground we're standing on, poof, gone. And then let's continue to imagine the mountains, the literally most impending part of the earth, they just get picked up, chucked into the ocean, never to be seen again. And then let's continue to suppose that the ocean itself roars and rages with so much force that the mountains that are left start to crumble with the force of the waves. But we will not fear. That's trust, y'all. Dang, that's trust. That is trust in who God is above all things. The literal apocalypse, the end of the world. God is our refuge. A refuge is a place or a group of people that is safe. In this context, it's a very physical refuge. But not only is this refuge safe and strong, verse 1 says it is ever-present. It doesn't disappear. Though all of creation rages and falls apart, God is ever-present help and refuge. And for the Israelites reading this, that's actually very important that it's ever-present because they've come against forces and fortresses that seem impenetrable and have fallen under God's power. Think walls of Jericho. This ever-present help is not going away. And while you and I will probably not see the hills and mountains around us get thrown into the Pacific Ocean, we do have our own battles that we're facing today. Our own things in our life that require refuge and protection from. The psalmist's apocalyptic depiction is not a literal apocalypse, but it does remind us that we have trials that we face today. We continue on through verses 4 through 6, and we've actually jumped to a new poetic setting. Verse 4 and 5 says this, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Now, the city of God in this section, in the historical context, is referring to the city of Jerusalem. This is a very important part of Israel. This is where the throne of the king of Israel would be. This is where the temple would eventually be. And this is where David moves the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence. In the Old Testament, God's presence was specifically set to a physical location a number of times. Uh, think Moses at the burning bush and on Mount Sinai, those places designated holy by God's presence. Think uh, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that leads the Israelites through the wilderness after the exodus. And then finally, God directs his people to build something called the Ark of the Covenant, and then further on, a tabernacle. This is basically like the, the temple before the temple. This is where God's presence would reside amongst his people. And in 1 Chronicles 15, through some situations, David finally moves God's presence into the city of Jerusalem. 
So when we see that this, uh, this city of God is literally the city where God's presence is amidst his people. But these, these verses also talk of a river. And last time I checked the map, there's no river running through Jerusalem. This is, again, a very symbolic metaphor here. We find that the river in old school, Old Testament times, a river meant life. A river meant you could have trade, you could have travel, you could have water for your crops. A river was something that was life-giving. And so the psalmist is saying that God's presence is like that river. It is life-giving, and it makes glad the city of God. Finally, in verse 5, we get to God is within her. This her is still referring to the city of Jerusalem, but it's also by extension referring to all the people of Israel. And then even further extended out, it refers to us as the church. That God's people will not fail because he is with them. God will help them at break of day. Now that break of day part at the end of verse 5, it's not referring to a literal time when God is going to help his people. He's not going to say, well, it's past 8 o'clock, I can't help you. No, this is the psalmist giving us a symbol comparing God's power to the rising of the sun. Do I have any morning people here in the congregation today? Where are my morning people? You guys are nuts. Where are my night owls? Yeah. Yes, where are my late night people? Yes, rise together. <laughs> You're a middle of the day person? That's fair. I'm, the middle of the day is my morning because I'm a night person for one reason only. My brain is like a very old computer with too many files on it. You ever try to turn one of those on? You press the button and then it just makes that really concerning noise. And then it takes a while. Yeah, you hear, the, you hear the fans rotating on the inside. You see the screen struggling to come to life, but eventually it gets there. Just takes some time. But even as a night owl, even as someone who enjoys nighttime, I can't wake up in the morning, look at the sun, and say, five more minutes. <laughs> Hold on. Slow down. Stop. Wait. The psalmist is very much comparing God's presence and power to the rise of the sun. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be slowed. And when it arrives, darkness has no choice but to be destroyed. As a member of the global church, we are grafted into this wonderful family of God. We get to enjoy this life-giving river that is God's presence. But the presence of God, the blessings that are brought about with his presence, and the worship that he is due can cause some unrest. We see this where verse 6 comes in. Verse 6 starts with, nations are in uproar and kingdoms fall. But as I read that verse, first part of verse 6, I'm actually reminded of another psalm, Psalm 2. In the first verses of Psalm 2, it says, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together. We see in the start of Psalm 2 that the enemies of the Lord have bound themselves together in some unholy form of the Avengers and are against God. It's everyone against God. But then when we go back to Psalm 46, verse 6, we see God's response. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Just the sound of his voice. That's all it takes. And I love the choice of words there, melts. I mean, if you're, if you're uh, building a building and something breaks or cracks, or even if it shatters, you might be able to salvage it. But melts? <laughs> Unless it's a bowl of ice cream, there's no salvaging something that melts. It's not going to happen. And finally, we arrive to the chorus of the psalm. 
the last section starts and ends with the same verse, signaling that this is the chorus. Verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Uh, for those who don't know, the chorus is the musical part of the song that repeats usually a lot. This should be the part of every song that gets stuck in your head, that you sing on your way to work in the morning, you sing in the shower. This is your don't stop believing. And I'm really sorry if you're now singing that song in the back of your head. But that's the chorus. It's the part of the song that gets stuck in your head, that sticks with you. But this is also our lead-up to that famous quotable verse. Verses 8 and 9. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. So far through this psalm, we've been talking about who God is, his character, his ability, his power, his presence. Now the psalmist is inviting us to see what God has done. But his word choice here is a little odd. He uses the word desolations. It's not normally a word that I ascribe to God. You see, for me, it has a little bit of a negative connotation to it. In fact, when I hear the word desolations, there's one thing I think of. It's the second movie in the Hobbit trilogy, The Desolation of Smog. Anyone a Hobbit fan here? Lord of the Rings, anything? There we go. So, The Hobbit, if you haven't read the book or seen the movies, I'll give you the short version. Once upon a time, there was a kingdom of dwarves, and they amassed a large, great wealth of gold and magical items and gems. And then one day, a giant fire-breathing lizard with wings looked over and said, hmm, that's pretty neat. I think I'll take it. And thus, the story of The Hobbit begins. All of that happened before the movie and the books even get started, but that's where the story starts. And the reason I bring this up is because we're trying to define desolation. All right, and I want you to imagine this dragon doesn't crawl over to the mountain and kind of, hey, can I have your stuff? No, it's a dragon. He comes in with tooth and fang and fire and destruction. He ruins everything. And that's why the movie is called The Desolation of Smog. See, the desolation is referring to what's left after the dragon does his thing. There's actually a quote from the book that describes the main characters as they come upon this place. It says this, the land about them grew bleak and barren, though once it had been green and fair. There was little grass, and before long neither bush nor tree, and the only broken and blackened stumps to speak of ones long vanished. They had come to the desolation of the dragon. This picture is destruction, despair, and complete obliteration. Again, not necessarily words I think of when I think of God, but what is the psalmist actually inviting us to see? Because he asks us to come and see what the Lord has done. What he's asking us to see is God's supreme power. That when an enemy comes before the Lord, there is nothing left but desolation. But God does not wield this power as a tyrant, smiting people left and right on a whim. No, verse 9 says that he uses this power to make wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks bows and spears, the tools of war, and burns shields with fire, rendering those tools useless. Some translations will substitute the world's shields with chariots, and I kind of like that. Because in the ancient world, the chariot was one of the pinnacles of military might. 
That's part of the reason Egypt was such a big deal back in the day. They had a lot of chariots. But even with all of the ingenuity, all of the engineering, all of the force that humans can muster, it is nothing compared to God. It is burned with fire. And that's it. But finally, we reach our little quotable Etsy statement in verse 10. This is the first and only time that God speaks within this psalm. Verse 10 says this. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now again, normally when I see this verse in conversation or on an Etsy shop, there's a general feeling of being still that just means that. To be still. To be quiet. To be in prayerful meditation. To cease busy activity. But I think there's a much richer meaning than that that we need to dig into. Remember that this entire psalm has been in a setting of conflict. We've seen the earth fall apart. We've seen the enemies create the evil avengers against God, and we've seen God's total victory in response to it. And then he says, be still. And when I picture God saying this in that context, what I think he's trying to tell us is stop fighting. Stop it. The Hebrew word that is used for still here is rafah, which literally translates to sink down, relax, let go, cease striving, withdraw. This verse is not necessarily asking us to just sit still for a little bit and take a break. This verse is asking us to put down our weapons, to trust that God is in control. We don't need to fight the battle because God is with us. I think there's a pretty big difference between those two concepts. And I have a little bit of a humorous example to kind of illustrate that difference. I'm going to out myself a little bit here. Uh, is anyone a fan of the show The Office here today? Any Office fans? Okay. I have a confession. Despite my generational desire to like The Office, I cannot. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. it. It gives me such secondhand embarrassment watching these characters. It makes me cringe so hard until I'm wrapped up in the fetal position on the couch. And then I have to pause the show. Literally, I've tried to watch this thing so many times because it's like, I'm a millennial, I should like this. I can't do it. <laughs> so once an episode, if I try to watch the show, I will have to pause it, literally pause it, and breathe, <laughs> and take a break, and remind myself that these are characters on a TV show. They're not real. This is all fake. It's going to be okay. <laughs> and then I press play again and like muscle my way through the last half of the episode. But there are some people who watch The Office and they'll pause and they'll rewind and they'll watch it again and they'll pause and rewind and watch it again and I can't do that. But I think that's a silly version of this difference. In a sense, when God asks us to be still, he's not asking us to call time out and like take a breather so we can muscle our way back into whatever battle we're in. He's asking us to stop and enjoy who he is and watch him go to work because he is God. He is powerful. He is all-powerful. He cares for us. He loves us. And we get to enjoy those blessings. We get to enjoy this river, this life-giving presence of God. That's the difference. It's not simply to brace yourself to go back into whatever busyness you were in. You're actually sort of ignoring God in that moment if you choose to just breathe and then try again. When this psalm asks us to be still, it's actually God telling us to totally enjoy 
who he is and let him do his thing. And trust that he's got this. There's a really excellent example of what this looks like in chapter 4 of the book of Mark. It's a familiar story. It's Jesus and his disciples, and they're traveling on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. And as they're traveling, a storm comes upon their boat. And these trained fishermen who have seen storms like this before are terrified for their life. And they look to Jesus, and guess where he is? He's asleep. And they run over, and they wake him up, and they yell at him. They're like, teacher, don't you care that we're about to drown? And his response, he stands up, he looks at the storm, and he says a quick little phrase, quiet, be still. And the ocean quiets until it's completely calm. He looks at his disciples and asks them a question. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Man, the ocean gets it. God asks us to be still, and the ocean's like, yep, got it. So that's my question for us today. Why are we so afraid? What battle do you consistently find yourself in where you are preparing for war when actually you need to put your weapons down? Have you looked at your calendar for the next week or the next month and already see that your life is about to get really busy and you can feel every muscle in your neck start to tense? Do you see that summer is winding down and so you're already preparing for school and all the things that come with it? Have you finished that last summer family vacation and you could feel yourself prepping for all of the work that is on your desk when you get back on Monday? Is there a step of faith that's a bit intimidating and you can feel your teeth grinding as you prepare for battle? Do you find yourself putting more emphasis on your school, your work, your job, and less energy invested in being a disciple or discipling others? Do you find yourself in a battle and realize oh, I'm on the wrong side of this. How did I get here? I'd like to close with a personal illustration from my life. And as I do this, I'd like to ask the worship team to come back on stage. In the midst of a global pandemic, we had a really interesting opportunity to practice being still. We had so many questions of who, when, where, how, why, for how long, and very few answers. At the start of the pandemic, I took the earthly approach. I tensed every muscle of my being and tried to worry myself into staying healthy. And it took a really long time for me to finally look at myself, look at God and say, oh, I've picked up too many things. I've picked up my weapons and I refuse to let them go. And it took some time for me to say, God, I'm sorry. I trust you. You've got this. I trust you with my health. I trust that you are in control, even though I really feel like I should be ready. I know you're more ready than I'll ever be. I'm sure we could spend a lot of time thinking of all the different battles we can find ourselves in, and that can get a bit overwhelming, but I want to remind us that this psalm starts really simply. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Not only is God our protector, he is our strength. He is fighting for us. And because of who God is and what he is doing, we have the opportunity to be still and witness it. Finally, we end this psalm with a reminder. Verse 11, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
This is a historical reference to the, the Jacob of the Bible and see God was faithful then, he's faithful now, and he will be faithful. But it's also a reminder that Jacob was not always faithful and God still was. In a minute, we're going to sing an old hymn with a modern chorus. We're going to sing the song, Be Still My Soul. And I love this chorus. This is the chorus, one of the choruses I hope gets stuck in your head as you walk away. It says, in you I rest, in you I find my hope, in you I trust, you will never let me go. I place my life in your hands alone. And because I've done that, be still my soul. Be still and know that he is God because he has got this. Let's pray together. God, as we look at this psalm, we confess that there are battles in our life that we have refused to put our weapons down. We have refused to let you be in control. We've tried to muscle our way through those struggles and trials. God, we ask that you would let us relax in your presence that we would cease striving, that, God, we would let you be in control and trust that you have got this. God, for those in the congregation and those online, God, bring to mind those struggles, those trials, those areas where we need to let you be in control and let us trust in knowing that you will take care of us. You are our refuge. You are our strength. You love us. God, allow us to rest in your presence. We pray all this in your name. Amen.